Virtual Manager presents the How Did We Get Here podcast. Hello and welcome to episode five of the How Did We Get Here podcast, the story of Virtual Manager. Coming up, it's the second part of the introduction to CEO Tony Morocco as Chairman Anil Patel, CIO Neil Fillingham-Antoni take us through the company's growth in not only sales, but within their own ranks. Tony was working hard, Neil was working hard, I was, Steve was, Tom was. So the thing, everyone was just go, 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 go. And between us, we just divvied up the work and just, just all paddled very, very hard. Even though we'd landed some large clients, we might get one phone call a week. So we were very lucky in that regard. We didn't have to invest in those individuals right away. So it was really just focused on development, sales, and that was it. I have a time window, right? We're burning cash and I need to do this as fast as possible. And then at the end of the day, how do we get more resources into the business? How can I expand this footprint as fast as possible? Also in this edition, that definitely was one of those moments where you thought, wow, this is, this is getting serious now. And I think more so when we went to the offices where I think most people dream of even getting on that campus and we had all access. Certainly one of the best days I've had in business. Yeah, it was a dream come true for myself just to be able to be at that playing field and with that level of caliber of clients. Yeah, it was a dream come true. How Virtual Manager came to eat at the big kids table. I'm Charles Dagnall, and along with Anil, Neil and Tony, we'll continue to chart the rise of Virtual Manager in Episode 5 of the How Did We Get Here podcast. So welcome along to Episode 5 of the How Did We Get Here podcast. Chairman Anil Patel, CIO Neil Fillingham, and Part 2 with Tony Morocco. The introduction to Tony Morocco, which is going to span over two podcasts. Can you believe it? Great to have you uh, alongside. And Anil, you were telling me that Tony is going to join us for the remainder of these podcasts. That's it. He was such a big hit in the last one. Absolutely. He's an <laughs> integral part of the business. He's got to be part of it all. Looking forward to it. Do you feel an undue sense of pressure now, Tony? A little bit. got to perform and entertain. A little bit. A little bit, Charles. Let's continue from where we were in the end of episode four, which was you just landing the Compass account for Virtual Manager, obviously an enormous company, and you told us how you got there with your 12 to 15 state strategy. So then we move on. We move on to the next. In episode three, Anil was talking about what's next. You know, you have these small wins, as you described last time. Then you've got these big wins in with Compass and a huge account to land. What was next? What was the strategy from, from you from there on in? I mean, I just had to continue educating the market. It's been a paper-based world for 30-plus years, and there was a lot of naysayers thinking that, you know, they were looking at the obstacles, putting devices in cleaners' hands, connecting to Wi-Fi, data, how would we see the return on investment? So I had to continue educating the market and taking time to do that. And so what I was trying to do was break up the different regions and how they operate operationally and look at those key people from top down, selling top down. So from the presidents to the regional vice presidents to their regional director of operations, they were allowing me into these regional meetings that I was able to get multiple states, as I was mentioning, to be able to educate on the why. 
So I was continuing that. And we was also looking about, you know, I have a time window, right? We're burning cash and I need to do this as fast as possible. And then at the end of the day, how do we get more resources into the business? How can I expand this footprint as fast as possible? One thing we've not mentioned and I'm intrigued by, Anil and Neil, how big is virtual manager now? Uh, you know, when it, when you talk about staff, how many staff did you have on? How many were out there selling underneath yourself, Anil and Tony? And how many were on the tech side of things, Neil? How big had the company gotten at this stage? I'm going to guess, but I would say when Tony came on board, we still wouldn't have had more than five people globally. Really? Yeah. yeah I think there would have been Neil, myself, Steve, Tom... Tony, maybe one other, so maybe six at a, at, a, at a maximum. Yeah, very small. So how, I mean, that seems astonishingly small to me, uh, you know, someone who doesn't know the industry, but in that respect, how busy were you guys? And, and was there a, a sort of, not a sense of panic as such, but, you know, understanding that you do have to expand internally if you're going to get accounts such, such as the ones that sort of Tony was landing over in, in the U.S.? There were two things. We were working some crazy hours. Uh, I don't think it's too dissimilar now, but not, not as many. But we were working seven days a week, 18, 20 hours every day without fail to, to kind of pedal. One of the main advantages we had was a lot of software companies have heaps of support. So you need teams and teams to fix bugs. And we didn't have much support. So it, we'd, even though we'd landed some large clients, we might get one phone call a week. So we were very lucky in that regard. We didn't have to invest in those individuals right away so it was really just focused on development sales and that was it yeah i see a wistful look on neil's face as you say well the tech things was you know it was just basically neil and he's, he he did it all and he was fine i just saw this look of of, of really well it wasn't just like that on your face <laughs> yeah there wasn't the time to panic and he was right we were all we were all working up but that was the that was the thing it wasn't just didn't just fall on one person like tony was working hard neil was working hard i was steve was tom was sort of thing everyone was just go 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 and we were in the lucky position of you know, with the cleaners, because the cleaners typically aren't technical, you can't do too much from a user interface point of view. You can't give them too much because they're not technical and they get they actually get scared by that. So you really have to keep it simple. You have to boil it down to just the bits that you want to collect on, which reduces your surface area so you're getting less support tickets. So that's, I think, why we were getting, you know, a very low number of support tickets. The cleaners were just able to do their stuff. When it got to the management and the dashboards and that, there was a lot of requests coming in, oh, we want to see the data this way or that way. That sort of stuff was, was happening, but that wasn't really support. We could we could line that up between you know, development and Tom, who kind of headed up the implementation side of things. And between us, we just divvied up the work and just, just all pedaled very, very hard. Because of the nature of the app, and you say it's simplicity, especially when, when you know the cleaners are using it, and some may actually get a little bit worried about having to input the right details etc you didn't have to i assume actually have you know classes for people to learn how to use things i assume you just told the management this is how it's used and they would do that so again you don't have to employ someone to go and teach hundreds of workers or within a hospital to show them how the app works yeah i mean i, I could take that one because i was hands-on i was i was doing a little bit of everything i would find the deal sell the deal 
and then schedule the implementation. And I would be right there on site doing all the implementations. And it's a 24-7 operation. So it's first shift, second shift, third shift, right. a dispersed workforce, as Neil mentioned. It's not the, you know, the, the clientele sometimes is not as tech savvy. They've been in the industry for a long period of time. So although we had an idea, we had to change a culture. And a lot of our passion and who we are and all this energy that we bring seems to help on those installs. So when we were on site, we were learning quite a bit on how to do things correctly. So we kept evolving over time and obviously resources help, but the people on this call is the ones that were doing everything in the beginning. We also took a lot of learning from the U of R in regards to how you roll it out with the cleaners. So we really hold their hands. So we, we have people on site. We train in a small a small group, five or 10 people at, at a time. Once they've done that training, they'll then go out into the hospital and start using it. And we shadow them. We have a you know a resource that just goes out and just greets them on the floor. How are you going? So you're really trying to establish a, a person-to-person link there so that the technology becomes less of a barrier for the cleaner sort of thing. And you help them through that. Tony was doing all of that. And then there was Mark as well, who was, uh, you know, was very good at, at that side of things. I think Mark came on a little a little later on, but we, we kind of got those bits down pat early. We got an understanding of who the who the audience was that we were going to and how do you get that into their hands and, and ease their pain on, on learning this. One thing that I could have asked actually over the course of the last four episodes, but has just sprung into my mind is that as a smartphone user and, and using various apps, all of us do exactly the same. And now and again, you get things like apps crashing and get getting bugs in in apps and and the like was there ever a situation where things like that would occur or has it been plain sailing and if it does occur how quickly do these things get turned around so that they're back in because you're dealing with healthcare so if it's a paperless system and they've gone to a digital system one thing starts to crash and then the whole to me it's it would seem that the whole thing would go out of out of out of sync we had one really big one, I remember, at the U of R. I think we'd been in the U of R for three or four months, and there was a bug in, not in our code, in, in, a, in a framework that we used, that if you did certain actions with a certain timing, it would take out the entire app. It would just, it would just die. So we started getting reports of that, and we were kind of like, oh, well, this isn't, you know, this is serious as an issue, but it wasn't occurring that much. And it, for some reason, I can't remember what the reason was, if it was Wi-Fi or related or what it was, that suddenly raised through the roof. So there was a two-day period where I was basically just working on that, trying to re- work out a way of replicating it, because it was all based on timing on how quickly you press these buttons. And that was a nightmare because you can hear Tom having to support it, and you're there going, I can't even get this to do this. Like, how is this occurring? But then I think I think once we got that one out of the way, we were fairly lucky. The the biggest issue tends to be Wi-Fi in the hospital. Where sometimes IT in the hospital change the the Wi-Fi and that, and that takes you out. And then you're in a, a discussion with IT as to what the problem is because the users are blaming, blaming you, but you're going now it's all working, and so you get into those kind of knots and that. But I think over the time we've got we got a lot better at handling that as we experienced that. Yeah. I think the one biggest app crash that we had too is when Apple updated their software do you remember that where they went to version 10 to 11 and we went offline completely that That was a little scary (laughs) (laughs) could imagine it would have done so you've been predominantly working within the healthcare sector this is a smart clean app it obviously works very well in hospitals it's user-friendly it's been successful and you know hospitals are changing the way that they do things were you still trying to press for more areas of the healthcare industry or was there a moment that actually you decided we need to use this in a different way and try and hit different markets 
via the same concept. I knew that with Tony's experience, he'd be able to drive the product through healthcare, uh, but felt that we needed to kind of leverage a bit more with some of the other products. And one in particular, FoodSafe, we'd done very well in Australia where we'd sold it some, mm. to some very large organisations like Village Roadshow and Emirates. So I felt that if it was going to work in Australia, that there was a strong chance in the US. And one of our advisory board had a very good contact at one of the largest search engines in the world. So we managed to get a meeting with those guys and start a pilot with them. So we got food into a very large organisation to start with. So health was clearly the focus, but I was pushing uh, for food uh, big time from Australia. Yeah, and I think it's always been my goal too as well to grow those verticals, to stabilise the business, diversify, make sure that we have the revenue coming from different streams. My goal was to get health care up and running so we can generate enough cash flow. And then I kind of latched onto that Compass world. So that was my one client that I felt that I could make the quickest run. And, and Neil's right. We did lock on to one of the largest search engines in the world. It's been about a year and a half sales cycle. We're coming to the f- kind of the final stages of that sales cycle. So if that would happen, I think that that vertical and food would start to take off for us across the globe. When you got the call from this particular search engine, there must have been an element of pinching yourself, surely. Yes. Yeah, that definitely was one of those moments where you thought, wow, this is this is getting serious now. And I think more so when we went to the offices where I think most people dream of even getting on that campus and we had all access kind of tours and, you know, it, it was unbelievable. Certainly one of the best days I've had in business. Yeah, it was a dream come true for myself just to be able to be at that playing field and with that level of caliber of clients. Uh, yeah, it was a dream come true. Was it like it is in the movies, like you see in the movies? So everyone's basically sort of dressing all down and there's people whizzing around on hoverboards and sort of ping pong in the offices and all of that sort of stuff. Was it, was it, was it like it is in the movies? <laughs> It, it kind of was. You know, we were looking at not quite hoverboards, but you know, uh, bowling alleys, <laughs> Jet and olympic size, olympic size swimming pools, and bicycles, and soccer pitches, and you know, five star restaurants, and it, it was it, it was pretty cool. But the thing that struck me more than anything was how nice everyone was to us, whether they were somebody walking past or a senior executive. The way they treated us was was uh, unbelievable. It was like you you were with your family uh, right from day one. They were they were amazing to deal with and still are. Yeah, I think the thing that clicked for me was that they've been searching for a solution for many years. They have all the resources in the world, all the tools, all the connections, and they could not get to the level of what we could possibly bring them. So, immediately went to a pilot, proved out concept, and it's just been a sales cycle that we'll probably put in one of our books if we ever, you know, it's in the podcast now, but it'll end up going into a book if we could get it to a close. But COVID didn't help. We've all been going through the COVID battles and return to work. So it's why this sales cycle is extended a little bit. We're going to do and devote a whole podcast to the COVID-19 <laughs> pandemic that's that's gone across the world. Neil, specifically for you, obviously you're the tech genius behind this and you're going to Willy Wonka's factory you've got the golden <laughs> ticket surely that's how you felt going into going into this place yeah yeah it's crazy um and you feel 
underqualified in a lot of ways. You're like, going, you're like going, man, these guys could do this themselves. Like, there's, you know, there's so much stuff here. They're doing so many brilliant things that is just way beyond what I could think about. Sort of thing that you are a little bit dazed in that. But the, the opportunity was real, and it is real. And we were, you know, we kind of had to had to get over that like that that feeling of awe, and then make sure we got our feet on the ground and start on actually getting it in there and getting it working. What sort of level of meeting? Who are you dealing with? Pretty much everybody around, you know, the food service industry. Haven't really crept into the corporate side of that business, but everybody from senior execs to senior VPs in food services is where we went at this point. I believe there's another stage here as we go to the final end of closing of more senior people uh, within this particular company. So I, I think we'll meet some more. When you have a company such as that, and obviously you're walking away from the city that is built around this search engine and you're obviously on cloud nine that you're being taken on they are now a client that just gives you instant sort of almost fame within your industry is, is that fair maybe we felt that internally uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're pulling our shirts around our head and running around yeah. i know we went to the pub that evening but I think one of the difficulties we have is that we're not allowed to say an awful lot about what we do with some of these massive clients. So it becomes quite difficult in that we're thinking, wow, this is it. But you can't say a great deal. You can't promote it and you can't put it on your website. So it, it, it's a little bit difficult. But certainly, as Neil mentioned, it, it's like kind of the holy grail for a tech company to sell to somebody like that. Then it, I think, feels completely validated in what we've been doing for the last few years. Right, and if you can fly that flag on your website in different places, it gives you immediate street cred. You just don't walk into companies like this and not have a valuable product at all. And yeah, we're really excited to see where the future goes because it's not just here, it's globally. We'll be able to carry that flag. You're listening to the How Did We Get Here podcast, the story of Virtual Manager with Chairman Anil Patel, CIO Neil Fillingham and host... Charles Dagnall. So you've got Compass, you've already got Emirates, you've got Village Roadshow over in Australia. Now you've now you've got the search engine of champions. How is the company looking now financially, Anil? Financially the company is very stable and you know it's a very different situation to where we were many years ago, but Initially, when we introduced the SaaS model, which is, uh, I guess, a monthly recurring revenue service, it was quite difficult in the beginning because, you know, we didn't have many clients and we were, you know, you're having, you weren't getting the big upfront chunks of money that other organizations did. But now eight years on, when those amounts obviously start to multiply and you've got multiple clients, it makes things a lot easier. Um, so we can now predict much easier what's going to happen next year, what revenue we're going to get at a base level, you know, where are our costs? So we can mm -hmm. be a lot more strategic. I mean, we budget now. We never used to. Um, <laughs> we, we can actually have money to do a budget, don't you? Yeah, yeah. You know, people kept asking for a profit and last like, why bother? It just it's looks worse and worse. It's all lost. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. How bad? How bad is it this month compared to last month? So, and then you start to see things like profit and go, oh, right. You know, it, it's just it's this kind of it's unknown that we haven't seen for a long time. But no, it it, it becomes a, a lot lot easier to work with than than we had a few years ago. It's a lot less stress, Charles. 
from where we were in the beginning. But it becomes a bit tricky at times. I mean, when you're growing and scaling, you have to invest back into the business. And in any startup, you have these peaks and valleys. And during the valleys, you need to be prepared. And during the peaks, you need to kind of invest. And so we're able to make some calculated risks now. We're looking at infrastructure, but much better from the days where I would call these guys and say, I don't, how are we going to make payroll Right. And I'm going to the mailbox every day and trying to make sure that the check was there and asking for every favor, mafia style, Charles, any favor that I could possibly ask for. I would have to ask for in the beginning days. But yeah, a lot less stress and much better trajectory now. But I think it's a really good point, Tony. There was one point where there was a big check coming in early on that was going to solve a lot of problems. And it was for one hundred and twenty thousand US dollars. It would have kind of paid payroll, would would have been fine. And it was all good and we were confident. Check came in, Tony put it in the bank, and then I got the phone call. <laughs> oh, Neil, I've made a mistake. I said, what do you mean you made a mistake? I've deposited <laughs> the check as $1.2 million. And it, <laughs> it didn't obviously go through. <laughs> yeah. So the bank wouldn't put it through and they put a hold on it for I don't know how long, Tony. You know, but It was know. a week, week and a half. It was a week and a half we didn't have. Sweat dripping off Tony's head. I know. So we deposit everything. We're all remote. So it's a remote app. I deposit the check. I go to my cell phone. I'm so happy to have the $120,000. It actually came in and I added an extra zero. And I hit and I hit submit. And I remember exactly where I was. I was in the Charlotte airport calling you guys because the bank called. And said, uh, we have a discrepancy here. There's a check, but there was for 1.2 million. They caught it right away. And I had to call these guys and say, here's the story. <laughs> here's what's going on. Yeah, it's pretty stressful. I remember I was sweating. I was trying to get to my plane. And I was like, how is this going to work? We have payroll coming up in a week, but it's oh just miraculously. Goodness. We have a lot of these lucky stories where a check lands early or something happens where we just skin by. And we're on to the next payroll run, right? That's where our mindset was. It was, what do we do for the next payroll? Last episode, you talked about the risk, if you like, taking on someone in the US that fitted Tony's profile, and that was Tony. But obviously, you know, this is a, a big decision that's going to be made. You've got to finance that as well. Then you're getting these major clients and you're going to have to expand and make, and as you say, put money back into the company and expand, in, expand internally. So, again, is there any element of anxiousness about whether you should or whether you shouldn't, or was it more of a necessity that you needed more people within the company because the business was just getting bigger? No, I think it was a necessity. There was never any problem with putting money back in or investing it all in the business. I mean, we're, we're very different to a normal startup where – we haven't done continual raises. We only ever did very small one at the beginning. So we haven't, you know, technically now we probably could raise 10, 20, 30 million if we wanted, but we just haven't done that. We've, we've grown off our own cash flow, which means obviously our growth has been slower, but it's been a lot more controlled to a point and we've been able to invest, you know, in, in resources, you know, had we have had, you know, 5 million a couple of years ago, we could be in a very different position. But I think what it's taught us is to kind of look at every cent and every dollar very differently to how other startup and scale-ups look at money. The three of us in particular are quite traditional, you know, all got kind of ethnic-y backgrounds, so we've, we've, we look at money differently. So I think that's probably helped us as we've gone through the years. Yeah, we recently just hired a CFO about two months ago, three months ago, and she's amazed 
by the way that we can analyze the business within seconds by looking at our spreadsheets versus her corporate background where it would take a lot more due diligence and time. Mm. We're able to look at something quickly. And I think it's just through startups, being in startups around startups and understanding when to pull and push the levers. And we just kind of get it. And we all three align so well on this that it's been easy for us to kind of do. But you talk about the risk. And I just wanted to mention, you know, when you have startups, you have to work within a risk. Like the three of us are able to take all this pressure, all this risk. Everything's on the line. Our families are on the line, but still focus at a thousand percent and never let the risk deteriorate you. Because most people, that's why people, they think they want to get into startups, but then end up collapsing because the pressure is just so much and you don't know where your next dollar is coming from at times, but you know you have a great idea. We talk about persistence all the time. So the three of us were able to navigate these storms together. I, 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 to this day, Anil has, you know, when I first met him, he never missed a phone call, never missed a text message. He's always available. Same with Neil, the amount of hours he puts in. But that background that we have, we're able to focus in. We just magnify our focus at such great intensity that the risk never creeps in at times. Mm-hmm. Although it does hurt us after when you kind of, it's like when the game is over and the buzzer, you're like, how the heck did I play 40 minutes or 60 minutes? How did yeah. I do it? You just do it. Yeah. And that's what we're good at. Yeah. I mean, even the check example where it was very stressful for a week where we're trying to work out or going through the <laughs> bank, trying to get authorizations <laughs> to get it through. I don't think I ever swore once at Tony. So that, that probably says how, how kind yeah. of confident we were we were going to get through it because... I do tend to hit the roof at some point. <laughs> <laughs> even though, even though we submitted a, a spare one million twenty thousand dollars, I mean that's by the by. What's that between friends? In a lot of ways, it was a nice try, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is where we intend the business to go. Absolutely. Just on the the inclusion of more staff. Where do you go first? Do you just get simply more salespeople? Neil, did you need more tech? How do you work out what's needed first? Uh, on the tech side, I'm in the lucky position that Steve is brilliant. So as a developer, so he he does the work of two or three guys. I, I kind of follow in behind, a long way behind in regards to that, but help out as much as I can. Since he's come on, the way that he's kind of driven parts of that product, part of the product, and that, and the efficiency that we kind of get from that, so that's been great. So we didn't we didn't bring anybody on from the development side. It was two developers until what. Three, four months ago now, was it three months ago, we brought on two junior guys, um, Joe and Luca. Wow. I think Neil's being incredibly humble. Steve and Neil are incredible developers, and the two of them are, are, would be five to ten other developers. The way that the product has been built, it's so malleable, it's so user-friendly. And people, again, they say, how many developers? Where's your team? How many of them sit there? And they're amazed that there's kind of – at that point, there was two. There's obviously more now, but it really is a testament to their – talent and hard work of, of where we're at and maybe today in particular that we've actually forgotten one of those seminal moments charles that today is neil's 50th birthday <laughs> <laughs> well wow. how better to spend it in the company of tony and neil and myself who barely know and happy birthday buddy thanks happy man. half happy century birthday. fantastic raise your bat, bat ra- <laughs> awesome bat. that's it that's it pass the cap around and we'll all put into it so yes a very happy birthday to you neil tony your input from the expansion point of view i started with two it was myself and another individual i don't want to overlook the pain and process to get to the first hospital and then the first four 
But once we started to kind of catch a little bit of fire, I was able to quickly see that my time needed to be spent smiling and dialing, meeting the right people, kind of connecting the dots the way I do. So I was able to hire implementation individuals. So I needed help when I sold it post-sale implementing and training of the software. So we started to look at pockets of regions that we had business, primarily in the Northeast um, is where we started. And we started to put those implementation people to help us get the accounts off the ground. So basically, are they just sort of following you? You'll go in, get the sale, move on to the next spot, and they'll just sort of come the following day a couple of days later or whatever it is. Yeah, I think I drove them mad in the beginning because it was one in Pennsylvania and one in Texas and all over the place. But yeah, they would follow me around. And then once we built that business up, those individuals would also manage the accounts. So they would have the relationships. And once they would be able to have five, six, seven accounts, then we would know that we would need to hire another individual to be able to support our new business ongoing. So we just started to really put the infrastructure on implementation. Zero sales, we just hired our first salesperson two months ago. So for the ramp that we've had, it's just kind of been me and uh, the voice here of the company. So within the healthcare sectors and the hospitals and, and Compass, obviously, which you know span a lot of hospitals across the United States, ballpark, what sort of percentage do you think you've got covered in the US? Are we talking fractions of a percent or have you got a, a real hold of, of that particular market? Yeah, I think there's 5,600 hospitals that are in the U.S., somewhere around there. We're just crossing 50. So we're, wow. at a frac- we're at a fraction in the healthcare space. A lot of room to grow. But that actually must be exciting, Anil and Neil, because of, what, of, of the success stories that you've had, not just within the healthcare sector, but obviously the food industry as well. But knowing that that is potentially out there, that's got to be exciting. It is. It's, it's very exciting for us. And when Tony mentions 50 one of those might have 10 or 20 buildings. So it it is obviously quite significant (laughs) from a volume standpoint. One hospital in America is probably the equivalent of about 100 in Australia. So the scale of one is so much bigger. So for us, the potential is just infinite. And now that Tony's being able to expand literally from east to west coast, now in Canada, and, you know, we've been working together on some of the new markets, India. It, it's a very exciting time for the business. You heard it here first, too. Alaska's on its way. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, February. Fact- oh, <laughs> well, well, good luck with that. Yeah. It's, it's, take a coat. That's all I know about that. With that being such a huge market to fill, there is so much untapped potential and untapped customers out there. That trust of you going in and doing your thing, Tony, has obviously been very good so far. To hand that off to somebody would be, I'm sure, tough. But is that what the the, the plan is? Yeah, 100%. I mean, we talk about this every day with those calculated risks. It's time now with the cash flow the where it is, it's stabilized. It's time to make some calculated risk in different markets and sales is one of them. Sustainability is key. I could end up becoming a bottleneck and we go from 50 to 60 or we go from 50 to 200 or mm. 300, right? So we're just measuring that. Some of that is going on now with some of the delegation internally. And then those verticals I mentioned, they're going to start to really grow. We didn't really talk about Smart Clean, but it's a new product that came out in COVID that is kind of a lighter version of what we do in healthcare, but we do more of the commercial cleaning or their outer buildings. That is starting to get a lot of legs. So now we'll have three verticals with revenue streams in 2021 that we should be able to put those sales individuals underneath those uh, platforms. Final question on this is about competition. 
you've come up with this app and you've developed this app. I'm sure somewhere down the line, someone has seen this app and gone, we can do that too. Or a version of it. Are there competitors out there doing a similar sort of thing? There's quite a few. Uh, if you look under, you know, task validation, there's quite a few that's out there. I think with COVID as well, there's brought a light to what we do for compliance and risk and people are trying to get into the industry. I think Anil and I agree on this competition is good. Uh, it's not always great to be the first in the market because you have to pave the way with the education and the why. Yeah, I think from a healthcare standpoint, we were that pioneer. So it was, as Tony mentioned, it was very difficult. We were paving the path. Um, so that, that therein were many challenges for us. Whereas food, we were, you know, we were probably second or third. So we'd seen a lot of the shortcomings of other products. So we were very able, we were very quickly able to, to, to address that and to come up with new functionality that we thought would address the market. One of the big advantages we have is that the way the product has been architected in that it was built by Neil as mobile first. So we're always kind of ahead of the game in that regard with a lot of the competitors. But the other part of it is the framework in which uh, Neil and Steve have built that allows us to quickly change that product much more nimble than than our competitors that might need 10 developers and thousands of lines of code. The guys can change it very quickly. So I think that always helps us to keep ahead and another key point is us that we're so close to the clients in that we have, you know, quarterly reviews or um, business reviews with them. So we're, we're you know, kind of asking them, what do you need to see a year from now or two years from now? So we can start to think about that and build that into our roadmap. Yeah. Neil, brilliant. Steve, brilliant. The way we pivot in from an idea or concept to an idea to putting it onto paper <laughs> and then it commercializes, it's the best in the business. It's, it's what we talk about now. We got to continue to evolve What's next for us? And these guys are amazing. It's nice of them to be nice on your birthday, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) 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 So thanks for joining us for episode five. Coming up in the next edition of the How Did We Get Here podcast, the COVID-19 pandemic and what that meant for virtual managers. did we get here podcast with Anil Patel and Neil Fillingham was hosted by Charles Dagnall. This podcast is property of Virtual Manager, produced and edited by Daggers Media Limited. (laughs) 